it's Sandra Taylor and you are listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Oh my god. Hi, you're making me blush. your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. All right. Welcome to another edition of Area 51's recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast coated with a thin candy shell to help augment your auditory experience. Tonight, in episode 429, we look forward with great anticipation to listening to people talk, because that's what we do. On board for tonight's talkcast are... Sitting in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Gaming Console and Help Desk, our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdrivering, violent audio virtuoso, Kriana. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and uh, since Zombrarian is working late at the Glitter Palace tonight, our Eastern Seaboard Chinese Checkers champion for the 2020 season, unofficial Boy Wonder cosplayer, and part-time joke writer for Ricky Gervais, is Captain Cam. <laughs> oh, oh, Bert Ward, where art thou? Yeah, we know exactly where he is, and nobody <laughs> wants to deal with him. And me, I'm just a the guy they call the Dome. Tonight, um, if, if in fact you're listening to it at night, uh, but we're recording it at night, so for all intents and purposes, it's tonight um we're meeting with a writer who's two writers and i'll explain how that works in just a minute i want to start off a little quote from one of the books and i'm not sure which one it is uh life's a bitch she deals off the bottom of the deck but you play the hands you're given so tonight we talk with the writing team collectively known as oe tierman about their aces high jokers wild series uh for those of you unfamiliar with it the series is set in an America divided into heavily guarded high-tech corporate zones known as the grid and force-controlled military installations called the dust. It's set in a world where climate change and political deadlocks have resulted in a nation and a world that is isolated, uh, only engaging with the rest of the world because of its technological and medical power, mirroring uh, <laughs> mirroring virtually any time you turn on the damn TV. Uh, there are mission files. Uh, these are the mission files of the Wild Cards. Officially Democratic State Force Base 1407, the Wild Cards serving uh, in a new American revolution. Set in 2155, corporations run the city grids for profit and own their workers' body and soul. The Constitution is a very cute old-fashioned document. Freedom's another word, but doesn't mean a heck of a lot. But off the grid and in the shadows, there are people fighting for change. So please welcome the writing duo, Olivia and Nonier, better known as O.E. Tierman. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, I really worked on that intro. How was it? <laughs> I figured that we should get that out of the way. 
Okay, so let's, Olivia, say hi. Hello. Nonir, say hi. Hi, everybody. Okay, now we, we kind of know who everybody is. Um, so that introduction was kind of in a very grand and, and general sense what Aces High Jokers Wild is about. Yeah. Uh, we, we like to joke that we meant it as a warning, not a prophecy. Uh, but that's kind of, you know, too late now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We occasionally put up on social media, this was meant as a warning, not a suggestion. <laughs> I like the fact that you thought it might be a suggestion. Um, I mean, yeah, it, there, there are some... And I find this ha happening in, in speculative and science fiction of the current moment that there is a kind of mirroring duality between what we're worried about and what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing as you were writing it, you it was it was not meant as a prophetic warning, but more of a, hey, let's be careful of this. But what was it for you guys? Well, it was a little of that, and it was also for us a bit of an exorcism of all the fears that were coming up. Everyone was getting really nihilistic in our group of friends online. Everyone was saying, we're just screwed. We're we, just we screwed. We should specify that we started writing this um, after the... 2014? After Trump got elected, we started writing this. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. I don't know what math is, sorry. Yeah, it would have been that, 2016. That's okay. Essentially, things started getting dark, and everyone started getting very nihilistic. And so we said, okay, fine. Let's write a really dark world, but then let's write our way out of it. Let's write how we handle the darkness and stay human and take care of each other, even in the worst version of America we could picture that doesn't involve post-apocalyptic nuclear war. Because um, once you hit nuclear war, it's just don't die. It's just a matter of, yeah, who goes last? You guys are the cockroaches. Exactly. And frankly, that gets easy and emotionally lazy because you don't have to think about anything. You just don't want to die. We also have like a gazillion versions of that story. Yeah. So what, what makes, and having read it, I kind of know this, but from your perspective, what makes this series different now i had a, i had a joke question that i was going to bring in at this point was can we first try and pigeonhole this series with as many hashtags as humanly possible because i think we could i think you know there there are moments within at least the first book which is where i am right now in in the first book of the three where uh you know we can go from hard science fiction to post-apocalyptic uh uh to dystopia, to uh, uh, modern romance, <laughs> romance, uh, trans romance, hope punk, solar punk, good luck. Uh, <laughs> my response to <laughs> good luck. We usually just call it a hopeful queer cyberpunk because it's easiest. Um, so yeah, other than that, have fun. We actually are going to have to get on Audible because for some reason they stuck it under techno thrillers in the mysteries section. And we've been wondering why our sales weren't great. Well, now we know that, why. That might do it. Yeah. 
That would be the last place. I, well, not necessarily the last place. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have fit into paranormal romance either, but that's just me. Yeah, I put it in nonfiction before I put it in tech thriller. <laughs> so, under, understandably, um, this book is a kind of storytelling in reverse of where we were in, in 2016 and kind of drawing it out at that point. Why? Why, why, why was this, why was that important for you to do? Well, for me personally, um, after that election and like everything that we were kind of facing as marginalized communities, um, I needed some output, some, some way to kind of handle my emotions and that in a constructive way. Um, cause I was also like Aiden, the protagonist kind of working through my own gender stuff at the time. Um, so writing kind of helped for me at least create that catharsis and uh, initially we weren't planning on publishing it we were just having fun writing and then Liv basically said hey this was really cathartic and great for both of us it might also do that for other people um, and then I let her run with it and here we are <laughs> three books later but but why science fiction there are so many other ways to couch the feelings and, and explore the lessons and, and explore the, the, the stories you want to explore. What is it about science fiction that made you say, this is how we want it. This is where we want it to live. Well, it's a mix of things. Um, Nonir and I are both versed in the sciences in our own way. I'm a landscaper by trade. I'm trained in horticulture. So I also study um, the environment of my home state, Colorado, quite a lot. And my own nervousness is about the water table, about the heat going up, partly because I work out in it, um, about the changes to our environment that are making agriculture more difficult. So I really want to talk a little bit about Colorado as a changed state and how its environment would change and how humans would cope with that. But also, now don't get me wrong, I love fantasy. Uh, Charles DeLint was one of the authors that got me through college. But there's an element of escapism to most fantasy, and we wanted to write the real world as it could be. So we wanted to write science fiction because it was a mirror to hold up to the world to say, this is where we're going. Because when you write fantasy, yeah, you can mirror issues, but it doesn't have the same kick in the guts impact as writing a landmark burning down. I mean, there's a reason in the movie Planet of the Apes they show the fallen Lady Liberty. It's because it kicks people upside the head and makes them pay attention. If you're going to write science fiction, and I'm not talking in a vacuum here, Right. But I th think we all know that if you're going to write science fiction, you have to write it 
based on what you know of science fiction. So who were your, your muses before you got to go and say, yeah, I think I can do that. Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, don't you just hate questions like this? <laughs> I mean, most of the science fiction that I like to consume is more of like the space opera, Star Trek type of thing. There's nothing wrong with those stuff. That's some great stuff there. But it, it doesn't necessarily like directly correlate to what we were doing. No, uh, well, you, you you think not? Because, you know, if you look at there, there a lot of DC Fontana's work that went into Star Trek, especially the original series, there was a whole lot of holding up a mirror to society and saying, yes, we're set 500 years in the future, but this is what you're doing right now. Yeah, that's true. That is really true. Do you have um, any other pieces you want to bring up? I'm not going to remember the author name. The Mortal Instrument, or Mortal Engine series. Oh, yeah. Um, which just got turned into a movie. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't talk about that. But uh, I remember reading the books when I was in high school, I guess, and just like really attaching to that society of scarcity and the fight that the characters had to go through to not only survive, but create their own community and come together. And I think that that also, for me at least, had kind of a major impact on the Aces High series. And what I brought to it was way too many reruns of MASH, which is not a sci-fi, but... No, not at all, but that's okay. A social but, and I, it's interesting you mentioned MASH, because that was one of the things I was thinking of, as I read this, I'm thinking, this has a very MASH feel to it. <laughs> so now that you say that, I'm going, wow, so I was on the same page. So my mom was in the Army before I was born and she re-upped when I turned 18 and the military has always been a strong part of my family so it was we were the kids who instead of watching Saturday morning cartoons we got sat down in front of MASH um, because my mom liked it so that got ingrained for me but more to the point I would say Snow Crash I read that book and laughed all the way through but it has a lot of elements of the might makes right corporate concepts. I also brought a lot of my research into the Gilded Age, the 1890s in America particularly, to this project. And I know that's not sci-fi either, but when I was trying to figure out what we would write, I was going back to how Carnegie treated his workers and how Rockefeller treated his workers and Pullman. Um, and all these robber barons. And I was saying, what if they had tomorrow's technology? Shit, they'd be monsters. Um, so that's where we got a lot of the corporate stuff. And then the stuff that everybody has seen. I mean, we've all seen Blade Runner, whether we liked it or not, is everybody else's decision. Uh, there's stuff that's in the zeitgeist of our society that you don't have to have seen a specific movie to have a feel for it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Know exactly what you mean. You you, you talked a little bit about uh, you just kind of threw away a concept called the survival of scarcity, mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that pervades the themology of the book. Is that you know throughout everything else going on, they live in a world where a uh, nothing is easy, 
uh, uh, you're dependent on others for virtually everything, but everybody has virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so, and and part of that is based on again that looking in, into currents, uh, the current tropes of our societies that exist now, and extending it out. Was that intentional as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, looking around, we we have people starving for no reason, and we have people hoarding resources, and by people, I know so many companies, um, <laughs> resources are being hoarded, wealth is being hoarded, uh, healthcare is being hoarded, and so sending that out even is just terrifying, because we already have people who are struggling to make ends meet because other people are, you know, keeping stuff for themselves instead of helping. And I brought to it from my own perspective, the environmental stuff that I've been reading about, partly for work. Um, horticulture and agriculture are talking constantly about the fact that the weed killers we used to depend on aren't as effective anymore. The plants are evolving defenses to the weed killers we've come to depend on to make sure that only our crops are getting the nutrients in the field. Our topsoil is getting depleted because we're farming, uh, it's called monoculture, which means you plant the same crop in the same field too many years in a row. It keeps eating the same food in that field. By food, I mean micronutrients. Right. Taking them out of the soil. So you end up with depleted soil and crops that are getting smaller and smaller. Add to that climate change, the temperatures are changing, the storm systems are changing. So now we're getting massive hailstorms in the middle of June. We normally get one hailstorm, maybe two in May, and now we're getting them in the middle of June and they're killing not just the pretty flowers, which is a shame, and out everything. of everything, but yeah, our agricultural crops. Well, and I mean, I I have friends who's who had to like completely redo their roofs because they had like I don't know a foot gap uh, out of a hailstorm that had been destroyed. And beyond that, we're already we talk about water scarcity in the book. Well, we're already having it in the Front Range, down in the south of our of our state. There were were several cases of murder over water rights between farmers and they actually, uh, I believe it's Pueblo County had to elect a water cop to just go around and check the dikes and the water allotments to make sure nobody was taking more than their fair share because water in the South where we grow most of our nuts and we grow a lot of winter grain is getting so scarce that people are quite literally hitting each other with shovels. And more in the cities, we also have food deserts. We have areas where there are no available grocery stores, where you can't get fresh produce without driving for half an hour in the middle of the city. Yeah. So there is scarcity around us, and it's not that hard to imagine what it's going to be like in the future. And for me, at least, that's terrifying. And so in the book, we wanted to kind of address that in, yes, this is scary, but also by community and taking care of ourselves or taking care of each other and having compassion for each other, we can get through it. 
in the book you also take a a micro social organism which is this camp and turn it into a series of metaphors uh about society as a whole and extend that out was that one of the goals from the beginning or did that kind of organically happen both <laughs> i guess we just wrote we wrote a family but because they're all different types of americans we're we're both suckers for found family tropes yeah <laughs> so that just kind of like wormed its way in but we would really wanted to write who would end up you know outside society and so we did kind of choose representative figures but i guess the characters just kind of evolved on their own and they started out more as family tropes than they did as cultural tropes i mean the big brother and the little brother the mm. wendy figure the older sister who keeps telling everybody to go to bed on time and get their hair cut the you know those kinds of figures came first and their identities came secondary yeah, we, we built them around the tropes and how we wanted characters to interact and then went, hey, you know what we could do? We could make this as diverse as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and that was when Topher became Lebanese. And that was when, <laughs> yeah, and that was when different characters became got their identities. Um, Tweak was always tiny. Tweak and, was always Tweak. Yeah, Tweak was always <laughs> Tweak. The coder was always a... Chinese chick who would look sort of fragile until you messed with her and then you would regret it. <laughs> um, but a lot of the other characters, yeah, we had that thought process mm -hmm. of, hey, we could make this a microcosm of America. All we have to do is this. And the face originally was a lot bigger because we kept forgetting <laughs> what, what characters we had and just like throwing back characters in. Yeah, after a while we were like, okay, no more big kids. No more big. It needs to be like 20 people at most. Otherwise, we're going to go nuts. That was pretty entertaining. It was pretty funny. I'm. We go through our old writings as first drafts and clean them up. And there are occasionally days where we look at each other and go, Who is this person? Yes. <laughs> where did they come from? Why is this person here? I'm so, glad you guys did that because when I was reading it, I was I had to go back several pages and go, okay, so where did I last see Janice? Oh, yes, she was that person. Okay, now now I've got it. You know, it's like I had to go back every so often, like, or when Topher would come up, I'd go, oh, who is this guy again? And I'd go scrolling back through my copy and going, oh, that's who that was. Okay, okay I got it. Back up, back up. Okay, we're good. Yeah, we were a little bit worried about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's part of the reason that we had that first scene where Aiden, the young commander, is getting introduced to his new command. We partly did that just so everybody would get introduced to most of the characters at once. That and it was very helpful. It made things more direct. Yeah. So it's a good storytelling start point. Yeah. Yeah, insightful. So, <laughs> when you put this together, when you started with that, that the grand idea, did you outline a plot or did you create characters? throw them in a blender and see what came out of it. It's more the latter. Um, we actually started this originally as a role play. Um, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. And you might want to consider redoing it that way as well. 
as an RPG game. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting to let other people in. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. have them create their own their own little camps in their own neck of the woods. So, yeah. like, if Dom and I want to create ours near near Area Fifty One, we could role play our own version of one of these camps. Yeah, just lay out the general world and throw out some potential campaign ideas. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. That could be really me too. I like yeah. that idea a lot. Because as as I was as I was working my way through the book, I, I'm thinking to myself. Uh, uh, okay, so this is here, this is here, this, and I've got the base set up in my head, and it, this moves here, and there's no fresh vegetables. Let's fix that son of a bitch right now, because I'm not eating cardboard anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I enjoy writing writing the character of Kevin because there's a lot of scenes where it's just like I am tired of eating this. <laughs> it's not even this is my job. It is if I. Nope. More of these, I'm gonna I'm, die. <laughs> I'm going to die after I kill someone for forcing me to eat them. Absolutely, make it all very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. So, so it becomes kind of uh, invent the place, populate it, and watch what happens for you guys because you you it seems like. You've let these characters, you, you've created enough depth and interesting uh, interesting sidelights to each of these characters to where they, they begin to evolve and interact with each other. And you just sit there and, and let them write. Uh, do they do things you never expected them to do? Regularly. Uh <laughs> There have been times when we've gone back and looked at pieces and gone, why did they do that? That was stupid. And it, we, it doesn't fit with how we built their character since then. Yeah. Either that or we go back and go, that was really stupid, but it, in the emotional place this character is in, it's going to happen, you idiot. Yeah, there's a lot of face palming over our characters. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, teenage kids to us where it's like I love you and I care about you and you're an idiot (laughs) (laughs) so that brings me to the next part of the process for you guys which is how do you write without killing each other magic (laughs) (laughs) a lot no that's another role play game we're not going to get into magic right (laughs) that's that's a card game um (laughs) Yeah, like like I said, we, we started out as a role play, um, and so we got a lot of the, the plot down just for fun. And then basically, most recently, I've just handed it off to Olivia, and she's been doing mostly, I want to call it delegation necessarily, but divvying up the responsibilities a little bit um, and just communicating with each other. We've also had a lot of practice because we've done a project before this where we worked out a lot of our personal kinks. And <laughs> word to use, honey. Okay. <laughs> it is- there you go. Okay. Yeah, not that kind of kink. Um, I mean, yes, this book gets sexy, but not like okay, that. Quirks. 
<laughs> Substitute the word quirk for cake in all future conversation. Be fine. <laughs> give me a lot of crap for my word because I I'm, do I'm, because it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we've been friends for almost a decade now. Yeah, so. that also helps. I mean, we've never had a day where we almost killed each other, but we have had a day on the previous project, especially of I just need time by myself. There, there were some times when I got kind of pissed at you for the previous project. Yeah, but we worked it out, and we had practice on that one because there was no, there was no money in the game. So it's a free webcomic. Yeah. Um, so we got our problems worked out there, and now we know how to interact. And I tend to be the puppy on the leash part of this interaction, so I remember to slow down and quiet down and relax and be patient. And yeah, I, I have to rein her in sometimes. <laughs> Liv wants to do all the things, and I'm like, you can only do one book at a time. And now we're back to kinks with leashes. Oh. <laughs> Is that something that, that's hiding under Kevin that I don't know about yet? Or... I do not know about it. Book two. Really? I, I, I want to see this. I'm, I, I'm now just going to have to just not blow leash. through book two and three and see if that shows up. <laughs> yep. Um, no, this. I like to make those kinds of jokes essentially to watch the looks on other people's faces. <laughs> There's very little that shocks us anymore. We've had Harlan Ellison on. Anyway, <laughs> there are three and a half books in this series so far. Uh, the hands were given, call the bluff, raise the stakes. And then at some point you did a Wild Cards uh, Christmas H's, uh, Aces High Jokers Wild book called After Hours Game. Yeah, we've got two novellas up, don't we? Yeah, the other one is The Boys of Summer Have Gone. Stories. And the, next Halloween, there will be one called Bad Hand. Um, and yeah, those um, After Hours game is book 2.5. So it's right after Call the Bluff, which is set before the Christmas season. And so you get to see Christmas on the base. And um, the hands, or excuse me, um, the Boys of Summer Have Gone was a short thing that I did with another writer as a shared world thing. Um, Eugene W. Cundiff is a really neat post-apocalyptic writer, but his story is about 80 years before ours. So we got to see a little bit of his world evolve in that short story. And he's a good writer. You guys should look him up. And he's a good guy as well. So... It was fun to do that little, it's called, it's All Souls Night, because Halloween is no longer what it's called. Ah. But yeah, it's a projected seven book series. Um, so we're, we're working on book four now. Yep. It's out with the beta readers right now. Um, and like Liv said, we've got another short coming out sometime this year for Halloween, I guess. Yeah. Um, which will be set between three and four. Yes. Um, and the idea, hopefully, assuming we don't burn out going forward is to do some sort of short story between each of the books, focusing on some of the characters we don't get to see as much. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. So Bad Hand has more of, uh, Tweak's backstory in it. And After Hours Game has a little more of 
Aiden's connection with the crew strengthening, essentially very much of a you're one of us now kind of story. And um, uh, the Boys of Summer Have Gone was very much Kevin dealing with his past and his identity as someone who's genetically altered. I made a joke at the beginning uh, of, of this interview about finding as many hashtags as we possibly could to pigeonhole uh, this book in this series. Uh, I knew it was a dumb joke when I made it <laughs> because one of the things that you find to be true over the years of uh, reading and dealing with as much science fiction as I have is that while the rest of the world loves to pigeonhole everything and loves to put a little dymo label on everything and say, hey, that's what this is. The idea is that good writing is, is good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, this is an evolution. This is an evolutionary writing uh, that I have to tell you was one of those that comes up every once in a while. And I think to myself, self, you may not enjoy this. Uh, but you're going to read it anyway. And 90% of the time when I do that, I end up lying to myself because I have enjoyed it. This is a, a wonderful, intricate series of ecological, interpersonal stories and people in a situation that's not far from where we are now, both economically, ecologically, and sociologically. It's, I won't say it's a fun read, but it's an engrossing read. And the writers, Olivia and Noni, are are fun to talk to. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Not as much as I appreciate having read this book, and and I honestly mean that. Thank you so much and have a wonderful evening. You too. Take care. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and BooksandBooze.com. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book idea for the rapidly approaching National Punctuation Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. My Particular Family, the audiobook, is also available on Audible, because I'm not really sure where else you could possibly find an audiobook these days. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watt sauce. It's the hot. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Librarian. Thank you so much, ladies. And from his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. We'll talk soon, Stacy, and stay strong, Liz. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone.
I don't you hate people like me? I know I do.